Welcome to Commerce Chefs, a quirky and thought-provoking show for future-focused commerce leaders. We're going to pit the world's most brilliant, inspiring, and driven D2C visionaries, the Commerce Chefs, with riveting questions to uncover their secret ingredients at the intersection of passion, performance, and leadership in practice. For the past decade, we've led teams of designers, strategists, and digital wizards at one of the leading e-com agencies in the country to help brave brands become enduring classics. And we're here to indefinitely borrow the strategies and pro tips that will make us all better leaders and make the brands we lead better too. Where are you going with all those pillows? I'm going to make a fort. I haven't made a fort in ages. Like with your kids? For your kids? Um, sure. Yeah. It's it's for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's for me. Nice. I just feel like work can be more joyful, you know? More fun. And what's mm. more fun than working inside of a fort? I cannot argue with that. And I'm glad you mentioned joy, Tom. Because today we're talking with Rue and you about the joys of launching a pandemic startup catering to children at play. Their chief revenue officer, Rogine, talks about family growth, the importance of building a brand community, and the competition leads to innovation. Ooh, I can't wait. I'm going to take this interview in my fort. It's time for some pillow tuck. Ew, and aw. What? What's wrong? Well, I want to have a fort. Oh. You can. It'll just take you a fortnight to build it. <laughs> that was a very strong, or in French, as they say, fort joke. Comedy is not my forte. Eh? <laughs> uh, Want to go for a forced time? <laughs> and we're back. Okay, so, uh, Rogine. <laughs> Pleasure to have you here, Regine, um, on Commerce Chefs. Uh, we've been looking forward to connecting with you for a while. Maybe just we'll start with some easy stuff. If you could give us your full name, um, your role, and where you work and what you do. Yeah, uh, my name is Regine Baz. I work for a business called Rudenew, uh, I guess with my business. And uh, I'm the CRO and co-founder of the business. Um, CRO, more like a catch-all. Uh, I feel like when you're this small, you just assign yourselves titles. Uh, but my <laughs> responsibilities are everything from forecasting, business planning, strategizing, and marketing. Uh, and then my other business partner, Amy, who's my sister, she is responsible for kind of like the face and the creative genius behind it. So a lot of our awesome products, it's comes from her brain. <laughs> I'm more of like a ones and zeros, so we complement each other really well, kind of like a yin-yang situation. Yeah. So that's awesome. So it's a, it is a family affair. Um, what's that like working with yeah. uh, with your sister? I, I know what I'm like with my siblings sometimes. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's simultaneously really good and also <laughs> stressful. <laughs> I think the best thing, hands down, is you know, you don't have to read books on how to deal with people. Like, you know how I remember yeah. working at other places. Everyone's like, yeah, did you read Radical Candor? And people are strategizing how to talk to each other. And with me and my sister, there's no strategizing. You just talk to each other. <laughs> so the communication, sometimes it's tough, but like it's honest and it's there and you know what each other is thinking. Uh, but that doesn't mean it gets heated. <laughs> like you're never going to get heated with people you work with, like start yelling at each other. But when you're with your sibling, it's so much different. Uh, 
but it makes running a business, in my opinion, easier because you just have to be honest with each other. You're not scared to hurt each other's feelings. You have that kind of rapport. So it's really hmm. nice. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> oh, I think there's lots to unpack there, Kyle. I know, yeah. I know you'd love to, but. I was like, I think you just, that's like, that's, I don't know what to call that. You've superseded radical candor, which is like close yeah. to my heart, but you're it's like you, you hacked it. Like, yeah, you're there. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we fostered that. Like I knew we hired our first three people earlier and we don't pull punches. I mean, that's the one thing I've learned wherever you work, the hardest part of any job isn't the job itself. It's the communication aspect with other people and kind mm-hmm. of working with each other. It's, yeah. There's so much anxiety that like when people complain at work, you know, I was listening to some of my friends complain about their jobs and it's just how you talk with people and communicate with them. And that's the stressful part. So when we're building this company, it's just honestly out of the gate. You just like, it's, there's no hurt feelings. People take things so personally. We're really laid back and chill. And I really don't want to kind of foster that same environment where you I'm making people read books on how to deal with people in terms of feedback. Uh, so yeah, it's like, it's tough dealing with that aspect, but we've kind of fostered it. I mean, there's only six of us, so it's easy to say it's easy now, but wherever we head, you don't know how it's going to go that way yet. Well, I love okay. that. Speaking of this company, let's uh, let's dive into learning a little bit more about Ruin You. So tell us a bit about this story. Um you know, what is, what is ruining you? Where did it come from? Uh, what are you trying to accomplish and, and sort of see happen in the world? The business actually started as a sole proprietorship in 2017 with my sister and she just had her second kid and she wanted to stay home with the kids, but also like still work for herself. So she started hand making silicone toys. Uh, I mean, teeter story. And like, let's just fast forward now. <laughs> To like 2021 she's been doing it for four years at that point uh and i've been doing marketing most of my life i mostly uh SaaS and publishing and she asked me to help her with the business so i started helping her with some of the marketing stuff and in sorry not 2021 2020 and she came up with this idea for like a play couch because her kids kept jumping on uh like her furniture, like something like that existed. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Everyone knows. I mean, I did that to my parents stuff too, right? Like for sure. I've lost, I've lost two couches in the last two years because my kids just think it's a jungle gym. Yes. Why is my wife, we're not buying a new couch. (laughs) She really wants one. I'm like, why? Like my son just got yogurt all over a couch already. It's like, huh? Yeah. (laughs) It's a, it's a damage investment at this point. Yeah, exactly. And so something like that exists in the States, but you couldn't get it in Canada. But being a parent, she kind of saw that there were shortcomings of that model in America. And so where she changes, you know, she kind of added like a waterproof liner, like the same way with your couch. If you think about it, wouldn't it be really cool if your couch had like a removable cover, you had a waterproof liner under it, like taking care of your couch is that easy. And that's what this was. Um, So... I ended up being fully on board a couple of months before then. We released it together just solely on Facebook group. Mm. And we ended up selling out in like an hour. And I think that was like 800 orders or like half a million dollars, I think something like that. So yeah, it was pretty Hmm. insane. We didn't think it was going to go that nuts because that was like peak pandemic. 
you're yeah. stuck inside with your uh, kids and parents are just going nuts, right? Like, please God, give me this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a big part of why we're so successful. Like for some people, the pandemic was really hard, but for like, I mean, a lot of businesses succeeded because of the pandemic. And I think, mm-hmm. uh, cause this product in some shape existed before, but it was kind of the timing aspect was so important. Uh, like without, it, I don't think we would have ever succeeded. So like, luck and timing is such a huge part of it you you kind of uh hinted at, at this regime um with that that sort of monumental sellout introduction um but i think overall at least from my understanding is you you do actually have a pretty interesting um business model with that sort of product drop uh, approach um I, I mean i certainly love that uh, idea in building interest and energy and momentum and excitement. Um, so like if you, if you'd be open to it, like tell us about where that, that came from doing a a drop model versus sort of having consecutive inventory, um, available. And, and then there'd be a follow-up to that, uh, further. Yeah. I mean, a big part of it was quite honestly, like finances. (laughs) So I'm a really like cautious and conservative person when I approach any kind of strategy. So the thing is, you know, when you purchase these things, they're a few hundred dollars. So how can you get enough supply without having to put up, like who has that much cash on hand? Mm. So we kind of built it to begin on a pre-order model where people could just purchase it and we kind of use their funds to further invest in more. So we started off pre-order to just fund the whole business. We didn't have the drop straight off the hop. And at that time, like pre-orders existed, but no one was using it in like a business sense. And it's funny, since we've launched, I feel like everyone's doing it now where you're kind of using like customer money to invest in further inventory and just keep this cycle going where you don't necessarily have to borrow money against interest and you just have better cash flow. But the problem was on a pre-order, you know, your lead time might be like three, four months. Like who wants to wait that long? Like surprisingly a lot of people did for us uh and bless their souls because they helped uh this business grow a lot but there comes a point where we couldn't grow anymore as a business if people knew they had to wait three four months so the nice thing about a drop model is we could purchase a limited quantity of inventory and never invest too much i mean our product has a limited shelf life once it's created so we can't even purchase a ton of inventory, even if we wanted to just hold it. So the drop model model really came out of necessity uh, and its benefits. Like we didn't use it kind of like the way Supreme does drop models where they're using kind of a scarcity thing, but there's a lot of advantages to drop model. And I think as we used it, we kind of realized it and we built our business around it. Uh, I mean, you can do really limited quantities of specific new things that you kind of want to test run. So, you know, we're starting to get into licensing and collaborations, you know, and you can just do one-offs with people. And if you don't have a drop model, it's so much harder to do that. Like you don't want to carry something that like, you don't know if it's going to do well. So drops are also like low risk in a business sense. So you might just say to yourself, I'm going to do 500 of this thing. And if it doesn't sell well, well, you not sitting on like thousands and thousands of dollars of product. You're only on like a few hundred. So it really came like a business necessity, but 
now we've kind of built our entire business around it and people really enjoy it. Like we get messages, people say they love the rush of a drop because, yeah. you know, there's so little things. So we've kind of cultivated this mentality around it too. Uh, but I mean, I'll definitely admit we didn't, we didn't go into it thinking, oh yeah, we're going to be like Supreme and we're going to make people want it to be scarce. Like that's not how yeah. it started. We just wanted to provide this product that we knew kids would love and then just go from there. Do you see it as like a launching pad to like leaving some of those best sellers like in stock all the time? Or are you really committed to this drop model, you know, for the long term? Um, I mean, we're pretty committed. <laughs> like limited is limited, right? So yeah, it's it's sometimes it's nice to have something that people want to collect or just have that feeling of hey, I own this thing. Yep, and you kind of don't want to dilute that whole thing either. Yeah. So we do commit to, you know, blocks. So our, for example, our colors, we have core colors that represent like three quarters of our revenue. And then we have like four other colors that we cycle every quarter. Okay. And if one of those colors do really well, I mean, they do get phased out, but what we do is we will eventually bring them back maybe a year later. So that's kind of how we plan it. It's not like right. one and done forever. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, we haven't got that far yet. Fair. <laughs> I'll be completely fair, fair. honest, but we do. I mean, we phased out things that do well and people ask for them back and we'll just like come back to it like the year after. Um, right. But yeah, sometimes you just have to commit to, yeah, you know, there's my thing has always been, you know, a good example is I don't believe in secret recipes. I think it's my most despised thing ever. Uh, so I love to cook and when I hear someone's like, I have a secret recipe to me that says, can't come up with anything new. <laughs> and like for us, it's like, oh yeah, it did really well, but we stopped selling it. Should we keep selling it to me? It's we'll come up with something else because I mean, that's a, that's a huge core part of Runu. So one thing I learned when we started the business was, and there's like a NASA study where they said 98% of adults eventually lose aren't creative geniuses mm-hmm. when kids are born, like when you have a two-year-old, almost every two-year-old is a quote unquote creative genius because they have creativity, they have imagination, but by the time you're an adult, you have very little creativity and you kind of see it like when you meet people, there's this kind of grind that they go through is very monotonous or, you know, they just get singularly good at their job. So that's why like I despise <laughs> secret recipes. It just means that you don't trust your creativity enough to come up with something that could be better. I mean, I can imagine this would antagonize a lot of people, but like there's so much fun in, in trying to better yourself, but also better what you did before. You know, we released something that's really good. Can we one up that? We might never one up our Joey. That's very possible, which is by the way, the name of our play couch, but we're going to try, you know, we're yes. branching out into new products trying to expand our ecosystem. I've tried different, you know, add-ons. We've had some filled add-ons, but the add-ons being like different shapes. The the way our play couch kind of works is like, it's a Lego couch basically, Yeah. where you just have your base couch and then you can add all these like new shapes and create cool things. So, you know, we keep thinking it's like, what are shapes that make sense? But you can't just release any shape you think is cool because the end user has to think about the shape in a way that makes sense to them. So a good example is it took us so long. I really wanted like 
these squares and rectangles packages because my belief is that people the way i thought about this was in tetris i don't know if everyone yep, yep. I hope everyone plays tetris. it all comes back to tetris what does everyone do they create like a huge block and then they drop the line down there and that's actually not the best move in tetris there's one called the t-spin right but that's such a complex like tactic that good tetris players do so my thing was like okay if most people play tetris like that they must think in the same way where it's just like blocks and like rectangles so we came up with like this pillow as basically just like blocks and rectangles and it became like our best selling pillow so it's like huh. you know thinking about how like people like scientifically triangles are the strongest shape yeah. but everyone hates triangles because they don't understand how to use them because you don't <laughs> think of using triangles to to do a build for whatever let's say making a spaceship yeah if you give someone like blocks you know same as lego they're all blocks yeah. so like people are it's so easy for people to build things that way so it's like getting into that aspect where oh yeah i love x shape you can't just sell a sh- you can't just sell something because you love it I mean, when we do any kind of brainstorming at RuneU, I always tell people it doesn't matter what you like. <laughs> and they hate that I say yeah, that. Yeah. But it's true, it doesn't matter what you like because you're not selling it to yourself. And having that kind of self-awareness of saying, yeah, I really like this, but it's probably going to do poorly is, it took a long time for me to realize that. I think it took me into like my late 20s, but yeah. For reference, for people who listen to this, I'm 34, so yeah. <laughs> well, you don't sound a day above 30. Yeah. You sound great. Yeah. I, I know I'm just... Sound young. I was going to just follow up on that in terms of like the data to product mm. innovation, because I know you're like, you're a data guy, right? So it's like, hey, how do you take that and translate that into... Oh, you're saying it's like so important, right? Like ask the people in the room that you're making the product for. That's so you can make a better product, all that kind of stuff. But how do you guys actually do that? Our original marketing started off on Facebook groups. Um, and that's how we got like Actually, our CAC is basically zero. It's all done organically. And it's important to know that because I started off in ads and I used to manage up to like 180 grand a day. But I did that for so long. And then once we did Renew, I really just wanted to get away from that. There, as can almost feel like a trap sometimes because if you ever stop the tap, yep. you kind of have nothing coming in. So when we built Renew's marketing strategy, this is a long way of answering your question, Kyle. But yeah, go for it. No, no. We did it on groups first, where the algorithm, at least in like 2020 for it, was pretty open. You could just, if anyone, if we posted in the group, almost everyone would get the post. So we built in groups, they would tell other moms, they would join our group. And we realized that this community that we're building, that's why actually why we're called Rune is that we started off as Choo Choo Baby Root, but in February, March of 2021, we changed the name because we realized that we really are a community of parents. Hmm. So it's Rue and you being like the customers. Yeah. Um, And so we built this community and we realized that it was getting to the size that you could just ask them something and you would have a decent enough sample size to get an idea whether it would succeed or fail. So we started like launching these polls. We start asking for feedback and people would just tell us. Now yeah. the challenge with that is the vocal minority. Yeah, yeah. You know, they can really skew things. So it's learning to take that and then using our own 
understanding of the product as well and how people use it. And even seeing like parents would post videos of it, they would talk about it. So just even looking how they would use it in videos and learning from that was really helpful too, just seeing people use it, right? Because sometimes people don't communicate their feelings all that well or how they feel about something. Sometimes just watching them use it, you learn so much. It's like, oh, this is how they use it. And you're like, oh, way different than what we thought, right? So uh, like it all came really naturally. We didn't force it, but you just stumble on these things, you know, just watch people use it in a, in a natural setting. If you make them use it in front of you, then you're kind of skewing all of that. You just need them in kind of like a natural environment. Yeah. So that's an interesting approach. Yeah, you really are investing into that more organic oversight as well. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, watching people in their natural habitat, you know, watch as baby Roo jumps up. Look at how they use their couch cushions. Perfect. There he is. Yeah. There he is. Stalking his prey. No, but that, I mean, I think that's a really human focused way to determine, um, you know, not just on verbal feedback, because um, like back to your original thing around, I mean, the hardest thing with people is communication. Um, sometimes they don't always say exactly what they mean or how they mean to say it, or they're being led by a particular question from some sort of, you know, customer survey. But I think that's, that's really a, a human centered way and customer focused way to look at how do we gain observational data of how this is being used in a real world setting and how do we take that and apply it to our consideration for product development, for marketing, um, for product improvements, for customer uh, feedback, reviews. You know, I think that that's just a wonderful way to approach that. And if you've already made the investment, continue to do so into building a community, um, then they're probably more open to that sort of visibility and contribution as well. Yeah. I mean, there's like a, I mean, one thing we really care about is kind of doing things. I mean, one of the things I struggled with my whole career is as a marketer, it almost feels like you're manipulating behavior. And I struggled to that existentially as a person. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you know, you know, like Facebook knows that if they give you X amount of friends within seven days, you will use Facebook forever. I'm like, I don't want to get people, I don't want to get to that point in my life where kind of using that manipulation. So I kind of approached it from a different way. I remember when I used to work at Foot Locker, you could sell the most shoes if you just befriended the customer. And it's just being nice to people. That's honestly like what ruined you is like, we're in our group, we're the owners. We email people, you know, we didn't want this transactional nature that exists. It exists so much in our lives. Like you go, you buy something, you don't know anything about the business, the people who run it. Ours is much different than that. We kind of did the opposite of what most people recommend in business. We just created this kind this personal touch. You know, my sister does lives. Her kids are all over the place. You know, we're not really hiding anything. I mean, yeah. there's risks for that. Like there's a lot of risks for that, but it creates that personal touch that shows we're not just here to make a ton of money. I mean, we're just here to like actually have fun. And that's like a big part about this business. We just, we generally just want to have fun. And I think that just the growth came as a consequence for that. But when you treat people like people, at least from what I've noticed, you build a good rapport. And these people are doing ref like referrals without us asking. Like there's no incentive for them. They don't make any money. They just love the product. Who was it? was the founder of Patagonia who said that they're a product company. As long as you make a good product, everything else 
goes with it. And so we have an awesome product, like unequivocally and objectively, you have to like, one thing is we're objective about our product. Is it the best version of that thing in the market? And we do, and we can, and then people do the referrals, right? But from there, like you eventually want to leverage it still, right? So it's like, how do you incentivize people to refer you, but in a cost-effective way? Like I'm trying to do everything as cheaply as possible. So one thing we thought about, and I noticed no one did it and I don't know why. So like, you know how there's always like, Hey, hashtag us when you're opening your box for us, we built like a whole structure around it where it's called Rupert of the month. So Rupert's for context is what we call our people. <laughs> Cause like a troop of a troop is what a group of kangaroos are. So we just call people groupers. That is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> just let's just stay Water. there for a second. That is like the best ever. Okay. Go on. <laughs> We got a lot of dad jokes in the business, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's going to go over fine with us. <laughs> on the topic of roofers, at first I was like, man, this name sounds weird. But I noticed if you really stick to something, it eventually catches on. And now people, like, people, customers call themselves roofers all the time. It's amazing. Really? Like, huh. Do they? Yeah. yeah. Like they actually, you know, use that and kind of like cherish that name. Yeah. You're like a rooper. Yeah. And people love it. It's like, a, it's again, it's like, as a parent, you sometimes feel so excluded or like alienated from the world. You're just hanging out with a kid who doesn't understand anything. So like, yeah. what is an intelligible conversation anymore if you're hanging out with kids all the time? So <laughs> the internet, like since the dawn of the internet, it's been a place where you can just hang out with people and meet like-minded people. And that's what this really is. It's a way to have fun with your kids but it's also bringing out fun for you too. And you're just having fun with other parents talking about cool stuff to build. And it's all centered around Joey. There's no off topic conversations happening in our group. So literally around a play couch. Cool. Yeah. So yeah. Rupert's, oh. Yeah. I was just saying, you probably know this, but like just for anybody listening, like when you, when you have that kind of like level of connection in a community where people like identify with a name like that and go like, I'm proud and I cherish that. Like, man, that is such a strong foundation of brand and community. Like, well done. Rupert for yeah. life. That's, yeah, yeah, Rupert. Yeah. So good. Okay, go on, go on. The funny thing about that is that the people who, like this small minority that don't like that, they're like, oh, they're a cult. And it's like, we're not a cult. We're not a cult at <laughs> all. It's just like, it's super I, You can leave whenever you want. Yeah. Just stop buying products, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, you don't have to be in this group at all. Um, yeah, back to the Rupert. So we created something called Rupert of the Month because we noticed people would be posting great pictures naturally. So it's like, why don't we just incentivize the people who aren't doing it? So what we do is once a month, we give someone 50% of their money back for posting a picture with their product and hashtagging us. And that's it. But to me, it's like, you know, a good example is my sister got a mattress from someone, like a company I won't name who, and says, hey, hashtag us when you unbox it. Why? <laughs> Why would anyone do, like, to me, it's the so good. lamest marketing strategy of all time because there's literally no incentive to do it. As if, like, totally. people's lives are already so busy. Why would anyone do, take the time to take a picture and hashtag that business with nothing in return for them? So to me, it's like, uh, we just incentivized it. And so again, back as like a data person, say we have 10,000 customers and they each have a hundred friends. Think about the costs per milli for that. Like your CPM on that is so low. 
So that's why I say we're near zero CAC. I mean, we do small marketing things like that, but uh, that's the way I think about it. It's like, how much reach can I get for the lowest amount I can spend? And there's way more uh, trust. I mean, what was it back in like, as Facebook was getting bigger, you know, they started doing the research and most people like something like 90 plus percent of people trust like a review or their friend's word about something. So if someone's posting it to their friends and showing them, I mean, that's how Renew has been really successful without ever doing a single ad really is people just telling other people and you just, so for us, it's leveraging like people's, if they love us, please tell other people. Yeah. And here's possibly 50% of your order back if you do. So, yeah. I, I, Hey, I love that. And it, like, it not only sounds like it goes a long way, but I certainly know it would for me and definitely agree. There are often very odd asks of customers when nothing else is offered in reciprocity. Um, and so I, I think I just want to continue on this like community vibe or train, whatever, whatever you want it to be, uh, road and just sort of looking back over the last year, let's say, so, so let's not even touch on the whole pandemic, but with your community, like what's been something that has surprised you in a good way? Like, oh man, like I, we had no idea that that would do what it did or that people would react the way they did. Um, and then what's, what's one thing that surprised you in kind of like a negative way, something you thought would go really well that maybe didn't. And how did you kind of embrace or solve, uh, for, for either of those? Yeah. I mean, I think the surprising positive part is that that exists at all. (laughs) Like, uh, I mean, I've contributed to forum boards. I love talking to people about things I'm interested in, but it's so much different creating, one and then it becoming a robust community. I think at this point we're like 21,000 people. To me, that's crazy because I first, I grew up in a small town of 12,000 people. So it's literally like two of the small towns I lived in. Uh, and it's amazing that people want to stay and keep contributing and keep joining and more people keep joining. Like that's by far and away. And the negative part is it got, the beginning was really hard. So. This is something a lot of businesses that have actually contacted us because I guess we basically ran the playbook on how to run a Facebook group. Because once you start a group, one thing everyone forgets is that these are all different people and a lot of opinions are going to come out and things are going to get really vicious. So learning to moderate that and you just have to rule it with like an iron fist. There's like, you have your rules, make sure your rules are robust and then and that way, no one gets mad that they're not, you're not sick, you know, they don't feel personally slighted. Hmm. Um, so you just say, these are part of the rules. You break the rules again, you're out. And you you kick someone out, and then they go to another group, and then they start talking smack about you, and you just can't take that personally. But it gets really vicious, and the early days were really, really hard because, you know, people want to talk about why their shipping's taking so long. Everyone knows the pandemic. Like, I remember when fridges were taking, like, 8 to 12 months. Yeah. And people just want to be like, why did, why is my couch taking five months? Because it got delayed at port for like a whole month. Right. And we allowed that so people could vent and we could say, it's okay to have negative feelings. We can talk about it here. That was a terrible idea because what happens is that it snowballed into too much negativity. 
and eventually turned into like bashing and like conspiracy theories and things like that. So, I mean, at the beginning, people got really salty that we wouldn't let customer support questions be taken care of in the group, but it's one of our rules now. If you have a customer support question, just email us. And yeah, that's like the negative aspect. It's you want to make sure everyone's happy, but it's really hard to manage <laughs> 21,000 people and all of their wants. So you just have to approach it really broadly and just don't regret things. Like you'll always have that little feeling in the back. You're like, okay, this person got really angry. Should we change something? And it's like, no, don't change anything. It's just one person out of 21,000. Like it happens. Can't make everyone happy, but it was really hard at the beginning because people were, they would just lay into you. <laughs> and you haven't, your soul isn't callous yet enough in the early days, right? So you just take it all a bit personally. Uh, but eventually you get to the point where you go, okay, it's just, they're just people. Let's, let's keep things on topic. How can we distract them from different things? Yeah. Their shipping's taking long. Um, like then that's where the customer support aspect comes in, where I think a lot of customer support people are so robotic in response. We have a really chill way we respond just the same way I'm talking to you right now. Like we just talk to everyone the same way. There's not like candid responses per se. So like, that's the other part, uh, and our customer support has been pretty good part in helping taper that off where, so it's like, you know, you have your group, but you can't let that get spiraled down with like customer support issues. So you just like put that into your customer support team. So yeah. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. I know, uh, it's always awesome to share wins, but I think learning from things you try that don't always go exactly the way and that you know happens with everybody so thanks for sharing that i think that's really powerful people messaged us so much like hey our group is going nuts like what do we do <laughs> like just rules just put just, rules. just put in your rules they have to agree to your rules before they get entered in and we don't accept people. we've had people message us personally and they're like hey why did you reject my invite oh like, you didn't agree to the rules if you don't agree to the rules you can't come in so yeah. it's like you're like, oh, it's 21,000 people. Like, it can't really be a VIP group. And it's like, no, it's, we do have exclusive things in there. And, but like, again, if you don't adhere to the rules, you just can't come in. Like, uh, there's some groups who are part of, we always like to be in really big groups just to see how things play out. And some of them spiral into like toxicity and like political debates. So we try and keep things really neutral. Uh, I mean, we do have our own like, preferences from a political side so we don't associate ourselves with specific brands but we never pull that stuff into our group because mm -hmm. that's not the right. place to talk about it uh but if people don't want to buy from us because we have a certain political meaning i think that's perfectly fine uh you have to sometimes make a position i mean again it's back to the ethical thing for us i mean we do a lot of donations and stuff so we run this business to also make the world better like as lame as that sounds it's generally yeah, it's true crazy. it's not lame at all uh yeah. So, but like, but the group is not like we announce those donations in the group. We talk about who we donate to, so you can easily right. deduce who we are as people from that. And surprisingly, no one's made a huge ordeal about what we donate to. Like, we, I mean, there's some issues that have been hot, like hot topics. Like, we donate to like for like for Pride Month, we always do something where this is a good example of the limited edition drop that I was talking about. It's a one-time only. It was like a rainbow print and hundred percent of the proceeds went to like two charities that we really cared about for 
LGBTQ plus. I think I, I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. So for those, so it's called Eagle and the Trevor Project. Just giving them shout outs because they've been really great and they help generate awareness, but also help from the youth aspect. So a lot of the charities we work with have a youth aspect to it too. Um, but yeah, like that, that's why I'm only mentioning this in connection with the group where it's like, it's also a good way to show people who we are so that, you know, at the end of the day, we're also okay with the idea of people don't want to buy from us for a specific reason, and then they can just leave the group. And that's better because those people won't, the toxic personalities, they're really bad. So that's like my only advice about groups in general. It's sometimes you have to take a hard line. It feels like the bad move to want to remove someone, but just do it because Early days, our group was complete turmoil, but it's so amazing now. We used to get emails where people were like, we're le we left the group because there's too much drama. <laughs> there's it's like, it's like high there's school. Yeah. There's, there's groups for that. They're like, if you want to go have drama or like yell at people, there's groups that people are just happy to just Isn't, isn't endless, that just yeah. Facebook normally? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Do you I need a like you Facebook a... group? Or... <laughs> yeah, but then you can get your own topic. That's right. <laughs> I think there's a missed opportunity for a reality TV show here. Yeah, fair, fair. <laughs> I, I was going to say, like, it's, I, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I think, you know, that's, that's what's tough, right? Great brands attract as much as they repel, right? I know we all know this, but it's like, yeah, that repelling bit is such an important indicator that your branding and your positioning is strong. And I'm curious, like, this is, I, this would be my closing question. This goes into kind of like you as, as a founder, as a leader at the company, as an owner, when you've got to repel, because that's part of the brand, Hey, we stand for this and we're going to attract over here. How do you kind of process that? Like you say, people are reaching out to you personally on Facebook, you know, and like, this is your baby. Like, how do you, how do you process that? How do you take care of yourself? It's, I think at first as a business owner, you're thinking, this is lost revenue, right? Oh, we're losing money. Like we should try and, you know, play to everyone. Cause like I work, I came from publishing where it's all about virality. Right. And so the number of eyeballs was the most absolutely important thing. We took no position on anything cause we didn't want to cut any eyeball off. Cause again, you're doing ad dollars, right? And that's how you generate revenue. But in this spot, yeah. it's like, once I got into SaaS, I start learning about, you know, LTV and the, like anything people, that's the way you have to think about it. So our customer return rate is 50%. Like for e-com standards, I know how good that is. That's just like so good. And that's just good again, because we're cultivating a specific group of people who like us and like our product and we like them too. And that is why our revenue generation is so steady and reliable. You know, like I remember when Algo changed came out bunch of people I knew were like, oh, we're just getting absolutely murdered on ads, blah, blah. It's like, we're steady. We're steady because we just built a sustainable model. So like, as a person, originally we struggled really hard with that. You know, you're like, okay, we can't keep everyone happy, but let's try. And you get burnt out because it's too emotionally exhausting to try and keep every single person happy. So you just have to make peace with the fact that a lot of people are going to hate you. And that's just part of life, unfortunately. Uh, not everyone can like you. I mean, I remember at my, one of my workplaces, someone hated me because I was the happiest person in the office. I was like, right? oh, man. Like, <laughs> it was at that moment you're like, like <laughs> that's it. Someone's always going to hate me. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I did telemarketing too. Like that built 
that built me up like a lot to be tough because if you've ever done telemarketing, people just get angry at you because you just call them bad. Yeah. The yeah. most inopportune time of all time. Yeah. So yeah, like as a as a business owner, or whether if you're like in marketing or something, like one of the biggest things any marketing person I know struggled with is that execs are so sensitive to the vocal minority. They'll see a comment, one negative comment, they'll want to change yeah. everything. Yeah. Because from a data perspective, that is the worst possible decision you can ever make because you can't change things based on one person. So like that's why I think execs or like entrepreneurs tend to make those decisions because everything's so close to them. You know, you're emotionally invested into your business or this project you're doing. And you just have to learn not to make emotional decisions. <laughs> Cause that's that's how most people will try to do it, is just be logical about it. It's easier said than done. I think the one thing I got I was lucky I got a leadership coaching when I was younger. That was a really young director. I think I was like, when I became a director, I was like 25. And we were doing something like, I mean, we won like Floyd's fastest growing company in uh, Canada. So this was a company called Tiffley. And I was like so young and like they gave me leadership coaching because it's so tough to just manage a, like an entire marketing department at that age. But I mean, one thing they just taught me is like, you don't have to react straight away. Like if you need to mull, mull. Like, you know, if someone gives you, asks you a question, you don't have to answer it straight away. Just go leave, ruminate on it, go back to it. I think that's the same thing for almost anything where an emotional response will come out as a consequence. Just don't, don't you don't have to act yet. Your initial thing will be like, back to the negative comment. Like I dealt with that a lot. Like, you know, when my superiors would see a negative comment on Facebook and they'd absolutely lose their mind. And they'd say, take that, like, take the article down. It's like, no. You don't need to do it. It's just one person. It's okay. Or it could be like 50 people, right? And it's like, hey, a million people clicked on it. Like there's other indicators from negative emotions is learning to build data around what does negativity look like? You know, and a good example for Facebook, like the way they used to assess uh, clickbait. I don't think they do it anymore. I don't care about that stuff as much anymore. So I'm a little rusty, but they used to look at like engrams, like the way words would be positioned within a title. And then the way they would assess negativity would be based on kind of like the click to reach ratio and the engagement. So if the engagement is really low on the post, but the clicks were really high, they would clear, they would classify that as clickbait, right? Like there's always ways with data to assess negativity outside of just a simple comment. So how would you assess that negativity and like coming up with that for us? It's really hard to do that, but I mean, our customer return rate's really good. <clears throat> and that's what we use, are people coming back? And if people aren't coming back, why aren't they coming back? So that's where reviews are really helpful. Um, and so we always ask for reviews <clears throat> or we'll actually message people like, uh, we see on the form boards all the time. <laughs> and we, and we, I mean, on, and on Facebook groups, and if someone's really unhappy, but they've never told us and we see it, we'll communicate with them around the group itself. And like, as an owner, you're hopping in. Sometimes it turns out really badly. Like you open yourself up to like a lot of negativity if you deal with it improperly. But uh, that's like one of the ways we deal with, hey, what was your problem? What happened? And 99% of the time it's like a misunderstanding and you could easily resolve it. Yeah. Some people don't want to leave reviews. Like that's the other yeah, that's the other struggle, right? So, like, what do you do with someone you've lost who doesn't leave a review and you don't know? <laughs> well, you don't know, but like, that's why we stay on the Facebook groups. Like, inevitably, like they congregate around a topic, 
and we just hop in those like quote unquote play couch groups. Yeah. That's a really long way of answering your question, Kyle, but That's, <laughs> Hey, some nuggets yeah. in there. That was great. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if I should ask my last question. Uh, cause so my last ask question it, was going to be, ask it. ask it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cu- just couch this, couch this, couch for this for later. Yeah. I'll jump. Yeah. I'll jump to the next question. Um, so I was just going to ask, you know, I think that there's been a lot of uh, advice and wisdom in our conversation today, but for the D2C founders that uh, are listening, um, would love to know one, one kind of piece of advice or encouragement that you would give. Uh, you just had a lot of that, but pretend you didn't say anything that you just said. What would be another piece of advice or encouragement that you would have to DDC founders? So I'm not saying this to sound like a hipster, but it's like, don't do things different. As weird as that sounds, it sounds like you're like, oh, you're just trying to be a contrarian, like do things on different. No, the thing is like, any good marketer knows that if everyone's doing the same thing, how can you differentiate yourself or be better than anyone else? So, I mean, we worked with a few agencies early on and they were always like, this is the best practice. You should do it like this. And we would say, no, it's different for us because of X, Y, Z. And then they would do it their way and it would tank. So like we became a really unique model and a lot of agencies struggled to work with us. And we just stopped entirely because it was just too hard for them to comprehend our business model. And it was, and is the people who function in it were different. So if you do things differently, it's like you can look at the market and if you notice everyone's doing it the same way, there might be an area of opportunity that no one's looking at right now. And a good example for us, again, was we use the pre-order model to start the business and not that many people were using it, but now you can see like shoes are doing it, like mattresses are doing it. Everyone is doing some kind of form of like pre-order drama. I mean, it's in food now, like there's a Toronto one called Chef Drop, but like it's in everything now, right? So... Like we were lucky because we hopped on that really, really early days, but most people were like, why would you ever do this? It's crazy. It wouldn't work. And it may have not, but like, it made sense to us given the context and that's why it worked. Uh, and that'd be my only piece of advice is to look for some kind of green space. Sometimes it gets like really competitive if you're all doing the same thing. You know, like that's why ad costs always go up is like, again, it's an ecosystem where multiple people are bidding for limited slots. So for us, we thought about how do you do it differently where we're not getting absolutely slaughtered in ad dollars. Um, the other thing we did differently too is we removed, so most, like if you go into retail, your your costs are really marked up to accommodate cutting them in. We went D to C and instead of keeping that money for ourselves, we dropped it. So our margins are technically lower for most businesses. But we have the best possible. That's why when you look at our prints compared to competitors, ours are way lower. We just want to make it accessible for people. Uh, but that just means you have to run a way more efficient business. So again, these are things that we do different. But every company we like, anyone we've talked to, they're amazed by the way we do our business and the efficiency of our business and how we run it. And it's because we chose to do it differently. And it's, it's it, again, like not to sound like a contrarian. You don't always have to do it different, but uh, if you're really looking for to succeed without having to like headbutt your like headbutt other competitors, uh, just find a different way to do it. There's like it's there, so yeah. My don't don't be someone else. Be Rue. Be Rue. <laughs> and you. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, be Rue. And you. <laughs> be Rue. 
You you can keep that for the next campaign. <laughs> You're like we're never we're never gonna do that. It's gonna be like a mirror, right? Be rude. Yeah. Be rude. I, I although I think Kyle's puns are so bad they might ruin you. <laughs> That's good. My brother in law would love this right now. It's too good. <laughs> Our next segment will just be <laughs> just be puns. Dad puns. Oh boy. Well, Regine, that would be um too much fun, I think. But um Really, really appreciate you joining us today, giving us your insight, your background, your uh, your wins and losses and ideas. Um, I just think that that's that's so great. Um, lots to learn here and, and to to chew on or rue on, I should say. Um, yeah, so so thanks again uh, from the bottom of our hearts, and um, yeah, just wish you guys the absolute best. Look forward to seeing what this year has in store for everybody there. Well, that's it for this episode of Commerce Chefs. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and learned a little more about the secret ingredients behind being a delicious D2C brand. But if you're looking for more, make sure to join the Commerce Chefs community by following us on social at Commerce Chefs. Ask us questions, send in requests. We want to hear from you. Remember, it's just as important to feed your ears as your mouth. Because as they say... The ears are the other mouth of the head. Lastly, if you like this episode and want to support us, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating and review. Until next time, this has been a pinch of Kyle and a dash of Tom. We'll be cooking with you in two weeks. <laughs>